We're in Psalm 131, um, which means that we're getting close to the end of our time in the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent are Psalm 120 through 135. These are our psalms that the people of God would sing as they would make pilgrimage to worship God. And so they're songs that are um, sort of cyclical in nature. They would, because they would be sung at least once, maybe three times a year on that, on that travel, um, they kind of walk through all the different places of, of the journey. So whether it's the expectation of actually getting started on the journey whether it's on the road to Jerusalem and, and some of the travels and, and some of the dangers that, that God protected them from, or whether it was actually getting there and then rejoicing together as a body of, 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 of believers in who God is and celebrating Him, all of these psalms have spoken to us uh, in different ways. And what's really cool is a lot of them had, have, have had just little points inside of the psalm that speak particularly to our uh, time to our current cultural moment, um, and so it's been a real gift. So this morning we're in Psalm 131, which is a real gift to us this morning. Uh, Chris and Riley and I were talking a little bit ahead of time and just thinking about what this psalm means to us and how even this morning, in a morning where we're, we're scrambling to get here on time, in a morning where we're trying to figure out, okay, who's healthy enough, enough to go, who needs to stay home, all of those things. God is talking about calming and quieting our soul, what that means for us. And so we're really going to look at uh, this idea of humility before God, how that calms and quiets our soul, and how that gives us this future hope, this enduring hope. It's going to last forever. And so we want to we hear what God has to say to us today. So we're going to pray again. I know it might seem like we're praying a lot, but we need to. We, our, our whole gathering is dependent on who God is. And so let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would give us um, ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see your glory this morning. We thank you that uh, around the world, there are people gathering to, to make much of who you are. I thank you for those that are gathering um, at Cross Point Coast Pineda and Cross Point Coast Palm Bay. Lord, I pray that you would... Um, just be glorified and magnified in those places. And I pray that in our hearts today, Lord, we would glorify you. That's the chief end of man. That's what we were created to do is glorify you and enjoy you forever. So I pray that we would do it this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, believe it or not, there's three points to go with these three verses of Psalm 131. Uh, Spurgeon was talking in... in in his commentary on Psalm 131, and he said, well, it might be small in words, it's huge in trying to put it into practice. Like, it's, it's going to take forever. <laughs> like, the length of it might be small, but the length it's going to take you in your life to practice some of these things will seem like forever. This is a Psalm of David, um, which we've been given a couple different Psalms of David in the Psalms of Ascent, which is nice because we know a lot about David's life. If we know Scripture at all, we know David was, this, was a passionate guy. He was a guy that had a lot of boldness and courage. He was a, a guy that messed up royally, and he was a king, so messed up royally. Um, so we have this idea of who David is, right? We, we know. And so when we read his words, we can kind of get into the idea of, okay, I know who David was, and if he can say these things, 
then that gives us some encouragement. Let's begin. Psalm 131, verse 1, it says, O Lord, that's a great place to start. (laughs) In starting with, O Lord, we put ourselves in a position of humility before our God. We are acknowledging that He is sovereign. When this Lord here is Yahweh, this is the God of creation, the God who made everything. And so what better place to be than under Him? And so when, when David starts the psalm with, O Lord, he's already positioned himself in a place of humility. But he goes beyond that. He says, my heart is not too lifted up. My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Um, this isn't, this isn't a, a sorrow. It's not a sadness. It's a, it's, it is a place of humility. It's an idea that I'm not puffed up. I'm not thinking more of myself than I should. I'm not looking at things too high for me. It's, it's this idea of I'm going to rest underneath you. I'm going to rest and know that you are in control and I'm not. And so I'm not going to have my eyes too high. I'm not going to worry about things that are too, too much for me. I think one of the things that's beautiful is, is the Bible talks about David being a man after God's own heart. And so even as we think about the position of David's heart here, David's heart is not lifted up. It's not puffed up. It's not proud. It's not arrogant. And so if his heart is after God's heart, then that's where our hearts should be too. And so we should have this same idea of, God, I'm, I'm going to rest there. I'm not going to become proud or arrogant. And we're going to get into how that happens. It's not just like you tell yourself, I'm not going to be proud or arrogant, because we've all tried to do that, and it doesn't work. But his heart is not lifted up. So how does one of the most powerful and influential men in the Bible, right? We think about that. So much of the um, Hebrew culture points back to David, points back to the line of David. He's become this huge influence, and it's because of the promises that came through David, that a Messiah would come through him. And so David is one of the most powerful and influential men in the Bible. How does he... (laughs) This super powerful, influential person remained humble and, and lowly in spirit in the midst of all this. Well, God has done this by His grace. He's brought circumstances into David's life that require David to cling to God. When you think about it, you think about all the wars that it talks about in the Bible that David's part of. There's, he's constantly being attacked by those that are around him, by, by the the other nations that are surrounding Israel. Um, he's, he's got family problems, big family problems. He's got sons that are rebellious that, that want to kill him. He's got a, a, a king that he succeeded that's also trying to kill him. So David, while he is powerful and influential, he's been given these circumstances that cause him to, play, to, to stay in a place of dependence on who God is to cling to the promises that have come to him. He's also got the responsibility of ruling a nation. And he's got a lot of sin. So these circumstances of of David's life keep him in a place of dependence upon God. Now, there are times where he doesn't stay in that place of dependence. He actually goes and tries to to do things himself, and and it continues to get him into trouble, but he comes back to this place of humility before God. So he has this, this humble heart, and he... And he battles with pride. He wars against it. So in this confession, he's saying, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised. My 
eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. What could be too great and too marvelous for a king? Right? When, when we think about that, we're like, oh, well, I've got uh, some real issues. Like, I've got things that are bothering me at work, and my, or maybe I've got a really high-stress job, or maybe I've just got a bunch of kids, and, and you, don't know what that's, you don't know what that's like. But here is the most powerful and influential man in the nation of Israel, and he's saying, that I, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And I think that that's, a, that's good news for us this morning. Like if that guy with all those circumstances can sit in a place where he's not worried about the things that he can't control, but he's trusting in the God who can control him, control them, who is sovereign, then we too can come to that same place. And so that's a gift that we have in God's word this morning. Things that are too great and too marvelous for me. See, if it belongs to God, it's too great and too marvelous for me. If it's something that God's worrying about and God's taking care of, then while I may have an active role in making it happen, I do not have responsibility to make it happen. Does that make sense? I think if we can get to that point where we can say, you know what, I, God is calling me to participate in this, but the responsibility of it happening is not on me. That's why David, who has all of these jobs, all of these things that he he has to take care of, he can rest in the confidence that, that while maybe there's some responsibility, ultimate responsibility rests in God. And so he can come and he can sit at the feet of God and he can say, I'm not going to occupy my, myself with things that are too high or too marvelous and too great for me. It's out of our control. I think quickly to the serenity prayer, which is not... In, in the Bible, but it's pulled from the traditions of the Bible. And it says, it says this, God, will you grant me the serenity to, um, man, I just lost it. I should have written it down. Uh, <laughs> anybody know it? Who can help me? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We did it, right? But that's where David's sitting. He's saying, God, I can't control these things, so I'm not going to try. <laughs> I'm not going to strive. And then when they get out of control, I'm not going to lose my stuff. I'm going to rest, right? And then, but there are some things that you've given me that I can control. Those are the things that are not too high and not too marvelous for me. Those things that I can rest in that, that you've given me the ability to do, and I'm going to walk in obedience and do them. And then, God, give me the wisdom to know the difference between those two things and then to, to, to act or to rest because there's different, different times and places for both of those things. The problem's going to come when we think that we need to be doing something that God's doing, that he's, when we think that we have responsibility for something that God's responsible for. That's when we're going to run into the issues. So this idea of humility, this posture of humility that David takes. He has a humbled heart in verse 1. In verse 2, man, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. When we think about uh, the current cultural moment, 2020, 
how loud, how chaotic, how stressful. Like you can't even get a sniffle without being extremely stressed out, right? God, we need you to come and quiet our soul in the midst of all of this chaos. And yet, David's saying that it wasn't God who calmed and quieted his soul. David had an active role. He said, I have calmed and quieted my soul. And if you know David, he was this passionate dude. Like, I I see some guys whose disposition is calm, quiet, steadfast, right? And I'm like, man, that's awesome. I want to be that. But for David, it wasn't a disposition. It didn't come naturally. He learned how to do this. He He learned through failure to do it. He learned through reprimand and rebuke and call to repentance, And so maybe this morning if you're wrestling with this and you're like, man, I am not calm or quiet, there's good news. God is stirring that and God's building that in us, a calm, quiet trust in who he is. I think that David calms and quiets his soul uh, with a couple different things. And we see it throughout his other psalms. He's really good at remembering the faithfulness of God. And, and calling others to remember the faithfulness of God. Do you remember how God saved us? We weren't a people, and God pulled us as a people out of Egypt, right? And he, and he parted the Red Sea, and he crushed Pharaoh's armies that were chasing us, and then he led us through the wilderness, and then he established us as a people, and so they're remembering the faithfulness of God and all of these things. And remember last, last week when... Uh, my son was after us, or two weeks ago when, when Saul was after us, like this idea of remembering how God has been faithful and saved and preserved a people, David remembers those things. And that helps to calm and to quiet his soul. David rests in the promises of God. He, he knows what God has promised to him, and so he's not, it's, and, and if God makes that promise, it's on God's it's God's responsibility to make that happen. We don't, we don't make that happen. And so we can rest in the promise that God gives us. And David runs to the arms of God. We see it in the second half of this verse. It's, it's really beautiful. Like, calmed and quiet soul, what does that look like? Like a weaned child with its mother. So this child that, if it was in its mother's lap and it was not weaned, it would be going after mom. Right? But if it is weaned, if it's been weaned off of the things that it gets from mom and it just sits in mom's lap, it's just experiencing the joy of being with mom. It's not what it needs or, or even what it wants. It's, it's just resting with mom. That's what David is saying a calm and quiet soul looks like. It's not where am I going to get the next meal? Where am I going to get the next thing that I need? Where am, when am I going to get what I want? Kind of going back to that idea of this Advent season and, and Christmas time and gifts and, man, I hope I get what I want. No, it's, I'm going to rest with who I have. I'm going to rest in the arms of God. David runs to the arms of God. Like a weaned child with his mother, so, so is my soul within me. Again, I think that this while pointing to a small child, some of it seems like it would be instinctual from instinct, I think it can also be learned. I think it can be learned to sit and rest in God's, in his promises, in his lap, 
waiting upon him. I think about uh, Paul. And Paul, if you know Paul, knew Scripture. He was a, uh, a Jew of Jews. He, he had read Scripture. He had been taught Scripture. He knew the Psalms. And so when he's talking to, to Timothy in his first letter to him, in, in chapter 6, verse 16, he says, um, Godliness with contentment is great gain. So Paul, trying to give something to Timothy, who's, who's walking in ministry, who's walking on mission, who's living life on mission, Paul gives him, hey, godliness with contentment. If you can find contentment, if you can find rest with God, knowing that everything that you have and need, everything that you need and want is you have in him, that's the greatest gift we can have. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then in Philippians, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, writes this, just talking about this contentment piece. He says in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every, any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then in 13, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So often that last part is taken out of context. The, the context is, is the contentment that I'm finding in Christ. That means that everything that I need, I find in Christ. So those all things that were, that were promised, we find them in Christ. The psalmist is comparing the contentment of a calm and quiet soul with sitting in the arms of of a, of a mother, a child sitting in the arms of a mother. I think quickly to, maybe David wrote this as a young father, right? Having seen his child and, and, and the contentment that they have with their mother. I know that I've seen it a couple times in my kids and, and with Boaz recently, being able to see him passed out, fallen asleep, right, with mom. And he's just content. He's resting there. But Paul's saying, in Philippians, those outward circumstances, the circumstances outside of mom's lap, <laughs> they don't matter. Whether I have abundance or I need something, right? Whatever it is, I can rest in that place, and we can rest in that place because of what Christ has done. This calm and quiet soul. For us, the calm and quiet soul has got to be derived from the fact that we can't do anything more or less to change our position before God than what has already been purchased for us in Christ. That's got to bring calm and quiet to our soul. Like, I don't, have, I don't have to pretend to perform because Christ came and lived a perfect life on my behalf. He died a sinner's death on my behalf. So His righteousness has been given to me. And He took my sin and my shame and He bore it on the cross and he suffered the payment for it. And not only that, but he rose again to defeat the ongoing sin that I'm struggling with, to defeat death so that I have this future hope. And so I can have a calm and quiet soul. Maybe this morning you're like me and you have to confess that I do not bring calm and quiet to situations. I actually uh, stir up fear, I stir up anxiety. Because I myself am not calm and quiet. I don't, I don't trust in the promises of God. I don't rest in those promises. 
And so confess that to God. And then look for opportunities to sit at His feet and to, to enjoy those moments where you can say, God, I'm reading your scripture and your promises are beautiful. I have everything that I need in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Those things are, are Christ things. I'm going to sit in that because you have already worked those things on my behalf. And so, God, I can just rest. But not only do I rest, but then we get to this, this last verse, right? So, position of a humble heart. David comes before the Lord. O oh Lord, acknowledging where his heart is, what he's seeking after, talking about how because of that position, he's calmed and quieted his soul and then compared it to this beautiful analogy of, uh, of a child sitting in its mom's, on its mom's chest, not needing or wanting anything because it's already been weaned. And so in that calm and quiet soul, that leads us to this place of having an enduring hope. While verse 1 and 2, again, are more uh, individual after, this, after they sing these two verses on the road, the third verse is, oh, Israel, right? All of us, we are all in that place. Whether you feel it or experience it right now or not, we are all in this place together. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. So we move out of that individual, man, I just don't feel like I'm resting. I don't feel like I'm in that quiet and calm place to remembering, no, that we are a corporate people, that God did this for a body of people who he is redeeming for his glory. And so together we remind each other, we preach the gospel to each other, we say, hey, you're being anxious over something that you don't have control of. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Right? And you tell me, Joel, you're being anxious. You're, 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 li you're lifting your eyes. You're thinking about things that are too marvelous and too great for you. God has those things. Will you rest in what he has for you? And so together we say, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I think we've got a couple questions that we need to take with us as we, as we leave today. The first one is, is God faithful? Right? Is God faithful? If God's faithful, then all of these promises are true. And we can rest. We can sit in the Father's lap like a weaned child and just be. Just be. The second question is, what promises has he made? What, what promises do we have? We have the promise of, of sin forgiven. Man, that's got to change the way that we live. We have the promise of righteous works purchased for us by Christ for us to walk in. Well, now we've got some, not just some resting to do, but some walking and some living to do in what Christ has done in righteousness in loving our neighbor, in justice, in our, in our actions towards each other. We have a call to walk in the righteous works that Christ has purchased for us before time. These are the promises that we have. We have a promise of a future hope, of home. Right? We talked about that in the beginning, this idea of shalom, this idea of peace. We have the promise of peace because of what Christ has done. We celebrate it. During, during the Christmas season, we sing songs about peace, right? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Are we, are we walking in that? 
We have the promise of a, of a quiet and calm soul. Well, we, maybe, we need to, maybe we need to calm and quiet our soul. Maybe we need to take that moment and say, God, this is chaotic. I, I'm thinking about things that I can't control. Will you tell me again who I am? And then stir in my heart belief by the power of your Holy Spirit. Because I'll hear it a bunch of times and I still won't believe it. But will you work that miracle of belief? That I would trust that your word is true. And when, is, when should we hope in the Lord? From this time forth and forevermore. We have an eternal hope. We have a hope that not only can we rest and trust right now, but there will come a day where we won't even have to calm and quiet our soul. We will walk in peace. We will walk in brotherly love. We will walk in all of the things that Christ is because we will see him face to face. And so that's our hope. Now and forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for the promise of your word. We thank you that you've just reminded us of who we are. We can't worry about those things that are too high and too marvelous and too great for us. God, you have those things under control. We, we know because we've seen your faithfulness in working out those things. We've seen your faithfulness in Christ. The working of forgiveness of sins that, that the, the Hebrew people longed for. That a Messiah would come who would make things right and you have. So we celebrate that. God, we thank you for a future hope. We thank you for, that one day there will be no more tears. There will be no more sadness. There will only be the joy of your presence. Lord, will, we, will you work in us as a people joy, peace, brotherly love, all of it for your glory now, today? God, can we sit as a, as a people in your lap and just enjoy you for you? And then will you stir in us proclamation to go and tell others to hope in the Lord. We thank you for doing all of these things in your name. Amen.